Ezekiel 18 and Psalm 136. We're going to continue our series on happiness redefined. Jesus stands up in the midst of a religious and a political culture that is exactly opposite of what he's going to talk about and announces how to be happy. And we've said this before, all of these beatitudes are paradoxical. All of them seem to be opposite of what we think. But I want to remind you that this is the introduction. The Beatitudes are the introduction to the most successful sermon ever preached. And like any good preacher, in the introduction, he is um, setting up his sermon. And I want to also remind you that the Beatitudes are about being, not about doing. And uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones made this statement. Listen to this statement. This is incredible to me. A Christian is something before he does something. That's what the Beatitudes are. He is saying, this is who you are if you'll come into the kingdom. This is who you can become if you'll come into the kingdom so that you can do these things that you read about in the law. He goes on from here to say, you have heard it said, you have heard it said, talking about the law. And yet he takes it even further. You've heard it said, don't murder, I say don't hate. You've heard it said, don't commit adultery, I say don't lust. Well, well, let me ask you some questions here. How can you love your enemies unless you're merciful? How can you turn the other cheek unless you're meek? How can you not lust in your heart unless you're pure in heart? Blessed are the pure in heart. That's next week. You understand what I'm saying? You can't do the Sermon on the Mount without being the Beatitudes. There is a being that God wants to do in our hearts by His grace. It is not by our works or even our effort. It is by our yielding to the Holy Spirit on a daily basis. And that's what the Beatitudes are about. So, I told you to turn to Ezekiel, but let me read you the fifth Beatitude that we're covering this week. Matthew 5, verse 7. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Now, to be merciful literally means just to be full of mercy. To be so full of mercy that you're overflowing with mercy. So in order to understand merciful, we need to understand the word mercy. But we're going to have to go back up even farther from that. In order to understand mercy, we have to understand justice. Justice, and if you've never written this down, maybe you've heard this before, but I'm going to give you the definition of justice, mercy, and grace, because it, it will help us, all right? Justice is giving a person what he deserves. Justice is giving a person what he deserves. Mercy is not giving a person what he deserves. And grace is giving a person what he doesn't deserve. Justice, this is very simple. Obviously, we could go into a deeper theological definition. But these are simple definitions to help us with these terms. Justice is giving a person what he deserves. Mercy is not giving a person what he deserves. You had mercy on him. And grace is giving a person what he doesn't deserve. In other words, it is justice to send me to hell. I deserve hell. It is the justice of God to send me to hell. It is mercy not to send me to hell. And it's grace. It just kind of overwhelmed me. I'm sorry. It's grace that I get to go to heaven. <laughs> that I not only don't get what I deserve, but I get something I don't deserve. That's the grace of God. You understand what I'm saying? So... 
if justice is giving a person what he deserves and mercy is not giving a person what he deserves, how can God do both at the same time? How can God give me what I deserve and not give me what I deserve at the same time? Well, we need to remember that God isn't just just. He is justice. He's the full embodiment of justice. He isn't just merciful. He is mercy. And he is completely, whatever God is, he's completely. He's not part justice and part mercy. See, some of us feel like, you know, um, God's justice and God's mercy are fighting it out. And praise God, his mercy won. No, he is fully justice and fully mercy. So, we need to understand a little bit about justice before we get to mercy. Okay? So, here's question number one. What is justice? What is justice? Well... Uh, again, let me say it this way. God is justice. Now, are you in Ezekiel chapter 18? Ezekiel chapter 18. Look what God said here. Ezekiel 18 verse 25. Yet you say, the way of the Lord is not fair. This word fair in other translations is the word just. It is the Hebrew word that's most often translated just. Hear now, O house of Israel... Is not my way, is it not my way which is fair, and your ways which are not fair? When a righteous man turns away from his righteousness, commits iniquity. Look at the word iniquity, all right? I just want you to notice the second I in iniquity. It's important because we'll come back to that. Iniquity. Notice it starts with an I and then the third letter is I also. Just remember that, Okay. When a righteous man turns away from his righteousness, commits iniquity, and dies in it, it is because of the iniquity which he has done that he dies. Again, when a wicked man turns away from the wickedness which he committed, and does what is lawful and right, he preserves himself alive. Because he considers and turns away from all the transgressions which he has committed. He shall surely live. He shall not die. Yet the house of Israel says, the way of the Lord is not fair. O house of Israel, is it not my ways which are fair and your ways which are not fair? Now, remember I said God is justice. And this is the word, the Hebrew word fair here. This is the Hebrew word for just. Let me tell you what it means. It means morally equal. Morally equal. Equal. Now, I know that doesn't seem to help us much, but let me give you a picture that will help you. Um, have you ever been to, the, to a courthouse? Ever been in, in, in a court? There is normally a picture or a statue of our representation of justice, which goes way back where we got this from. It is a woman holding what? Scales. And what we think is, here's what many of us think, that the prosecution puts all of his evidence on one side of the scales and the defense puts all of his evidence on the other side of the scales and then whichever one weighs the most is the way that the the, uh, case turns out that's not what happens and if you look closely next time at that picture you'll see that on one side of the scales is the word justice here's what actually happens the prosecution puts all of his evidence on one side of the scales And the defense puts all of his evidence on the same side. And then they weigh all the evidence against justice. Do you understand what I'm saying? That's what's supposed to happen. Now, let me tell you why that's important. Because that is justice. Justice is not if you're a little more good than bad. Justice is, are you completely 
perfect. Justice. Are you just? And God is the only one who's just. He's the only one morally equal. Now, um, see, we think that God puts all of my bad deeds on one side of the scales, and he puts all of my good deeds on the other side of the scales, and hopefully I've got more good than bad. Hopefully I've helped more little old ladies across the street than I've kicked dogs. Hopefully it turns out in my favor. Just, just If I can just tip the scales just a little bit. This is what people think. But here's what God does. He puts all of my bad on one side of the scales, and he puts all of my good on the same side. The only problem is he puts himself on the other side. And it is like 800 million trillion tons on one side of the scale and a feather on the other side. And it will not move. So how could God, if he's just, if he's justice, how could God send me to heaven? Well, I'm going to tell you, it's really simple. As a matter of fact, there's a really well-known verse that explains that his justice is involved in sending us to heaven, forgiving us. First John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and what? Okay, it doesn't say he's faithful and merciful. See, his mercy made the way, but his justice is just as involved in us going to heaven. Well, how could God then, how could God's justice be satisfied for me to be able to go to heaven? Okay, here's how. I'm on the other side of the scale. I'm jumping up and down on it. I'm doing everything I can. I'm helping little ladies across the street even when they don't want to go. I'm doing all I can to get the scale to move. Any of you remember before you got saved? I tried to be good. I tried, I tried, I tried. I did everything I could. I never got the scale to move one bit until I finally in a motel room called Jace Motel Room 12. I said to God, I can't do it. I can't do it. I've tried, I've tried, I've tried, I've tried to be a good boy. I've tried to be a Christian. I've tried to do the right thing. I've gone to church. I've walked down the aisle. I've done all that stuff, God. I can't do it. Would you please come into my life and save me and change me? And when Jesus came into my life, he stepped on the scale with me, and the scale immediately went like this. And God said, equal. Equal. And as long as Jesus is on the scale with you, you're okay. And that's why God's justice was satisfied. That's why God justly can send me to heaven. So, you understand, that's justice. In other words, let me explain it to you another way. If justice is giving you what you deserve, listen to me very carefully. God gave Jesus what you deserve. That's how his justice was satisfied. Now, here's question number two. What's mercy? Again, let me say this. God's mercy. God is mercy. Some people think that uh, his mercy is going to end one day. It's amazing to me how people think that. You know, God's merciful right now, but one day, one day he's not going to be merciful anymore. Can I tell you something? God's mercy will never end. You know why God's mercy can never end? Because God is mercy. So God would have to end for his mercy to end. Uh, let me just flip back there to the left. Hopefully, put a marker. Psalm 136, and uh, we're just going to read the first few verses. 
But uh, I really like for you to bring your Bibles to church so you can see the rest of this. Because when you glance at this psalm, you might see something you've never seen in, in this in the psalm. Psalm 136, verse one. Oh, give thanks to the Lord for He is good. Why don't you say this phrase with me? For His mercy endures forever. Both campuses now, South Lake and North Richland Hills. Verse verse two. Oh, give thanks to the God of gods, for His mercy endures forever. Oh, give thanks to the Lord of lords, for his mercy endures forever. And just glance down at the rest of that psalm. For his mercy endures forever. I've got one question for you. How long does his mercy endure? Forever. Hey, by the way, this is a good psalm to memorize because you've already got half of it done. (laughs) Twenty-six verses, and I taught you half of it just just in this short of a time. See? For his mercy endures forever. God's mercy is never going to go away. It's never going to stop. It's there every day. And the reason we need to understand this is because of what mercy is. Now, let me give you a cultural definition of mercy, and then I'll give you the, uh, what the Greek word means. All right? The cultural definition of mercy is to have compassion or to show compassion on the poor or the guilty. Now, I want you to think about that. When we have mercy on someone, it's normally someone who ha- is needy, poor or needy, or is guilty. That's what mercy is for. Now, here's the great news about that. We're both. We're poor in spirit, we're bankrupt before God, and we're guilty. Every one of us are poor and guilty before God. Now, Jesus steps into this society. Again, let's go back to the Beatitudes here. And how shocking. How absolutely shocking this, these statements were to the, to the religious and the political culture of the day. First of all, he steps into this religious culture. This religious culture had become the meanest culture on earth. This religious culture had become a rules-keeping, legalistic, condescending, condemning society. They, they, they had become such a, such a, a mean culture that Jesus said to them, you're you're a den of snakes. That's what you are. You're just like a den of snakes. You are biting, vicious, aggressive, poisonous people. That's what he said to the Pharisees. You're a brood of vipers. He also said to the Pharisees one day, he said, you know what you need to learn? You need to learn what this scripture means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. It was a merciless culture. Religion without mercy is the meanest culture on this earth. I want you to think about that. You ever been in a legalistic church? They're the meanest people I know. And they're the most condescending, self-righteous, arrogant people also. And that's the culture Jesus stepped into. That was the religious culture of the day. He also stepped into this political culture. The political culture of Rome was horrible. Many, many people don't, don't realize how merciless the Roman culture was. Obviously, if you look at the scourgings and the crucifixion and the torture that they came up with people, totally merciless culture. But let me just take you a little bit further. You may have never heard this. Every Roman father had the absolute right of life and death over all of his children. If a child did not please his father... Every Roman father had the right to take that child out and have that child drowned with no recourse against the father at all. That was the Roman culture. 
They had the absolute right of life and death over all of their slaves. They could cut a slave's throat with no recourse against the the, uh, slave owner. None. That's the culture. As a matter of fact, one Roman philosopher said it this way. Mercy is a weakness of the soul. And Jesus steps into this culture and says, happy people are merciful. Merciful people are the most happy, most blessed people on this earth. Completely opposite. You know, some some, uh, people thought in the day that this was a religious platitude, um, like a trite statement. And some people still believe this is a religious platitude. Uh, A religious platitude would be, for instance, some people believe that this means if you'll be merciful to others, others will be merciful to you. That's what a lot of people think that this beatitude means. If you'll be merciful to others, others will be merciful to you. Well, that, that's, that's good, except um, it's not true. Have any of you uh, lived um, in the world? <laughs> it's possible to be merciful to people, and you're not going to get mercy back from those people. Is that true? Okay, that's not what this means. Here's what this means. If you'll show mercy... The one who is mercy will give you mercy. And he'll give you more and more mercy. And we'll we'll get to that definition in a moment. Um, Let me give you the the Greek word, the Greek definition of of merciful. It is to compassionate. It's the verb. You know, we talk about the the adjective compassionate, which is like uh, we describe a person. An adjective describes a a noun. In other words, we say uh, he is a compassionate person. But there is a verb, compassionate, which means to put compassion into action. After uh, 9-11, I remember driving down our, our street in our neighborhood the very next day. And there was a little girl with a lemonade stand. And she, she had a big sign that said, all proceeds go to the 9-11 families. Okay. What she was doing was compassionating. She didn't just have compassion. She put her compassion into action. Please understand this. God didn't just have compassion on you. He compassionated. He did something to get you out of your situation. And that is he sent his only son. So, we understand justice. We understand mercy. Here's question number three. How can I be merciful? How can I be merciful? If if merciful people are happy, I want to be happy. So how can I be merciful? Well, this phrase, they shall obtain mercy. This is an interesting phrase. I have been so surprised at the Greek meanings uh, 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 that uh, the Holy Spirit chose to use for the Beatitudes. Many of these Greek words are not the normal Greek words that are in the rest of the New Testament for those English words. For instance, remember we looked at the word poor in spirit. And that word poor did not mean the working poor. It meant the begging poor. It meant the bankrupt poor. What God was saying is you can't earn one day in heaven. Not one day. It is a complete, you're completely bankrupt before me. Okay. Well, this word, they shall attain mercy. Shall attain mercy is all one word. All one word in the Greek. And here's what it means. It means to continue to receive and extend mercy. It doesn't just mean receive or obtain, possess it. It means to be able to to have it in your account and for it to continue to be flowing out of your account and continue to be flowing into your account. 
In other words, blessed are the, the merciful. Blessed are the people who compassionate. Blessed are the people who show mercy and extend mercy to others because they will continue to receive mercy and to give mercy. It'll be a continual process. Let, let me ask you something. Do you still need mercy? See, um, to think that we don't need mercy because we've been saved for 10 years or 20 years or 30 years and now we're a, a leader in the church, it, that, that's deception from the enemy. Uh, it'd be like saying, well, you know, 800 million trillion tons on one side of the scale and when I got saved I only had a feather, you know, but now I have four feathers. <laughs> and, and you only have two. See, that, that's self-righteousness. That's, that's horrible to think that way. That's the way the enemy wants us to think. Did you know that because of the mercy of God, you're still alive? Let me show you a real, real well-known scripture, even though it's not a well-known book of the Bible, it's a well-known scripture. Lamentations 3, verse 22. Through the Lord's mercies, we are not consumed. Let me say it another way, dead. Because His compassions fail not. They, that's referring to mercies and compassions, they are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Listen to me. I didn't just need mercy in Jake's motel room 12. I need mercy today. I need mercy every day. And if I'll continue to receive the mercy of God, I'll continue to show the mercy of God. That's what this is saying. People who are merciful are people who are continually seeing their need for my compassion in their life. And they're continually receiving my mercy so that they continue to give mercy. Now, one other word I want to show you. Blessed are the merciful. Okay. This Greek word merciful is only in the Bible two times. We just read one of them, Matthew 5, 7, blessed are the merciful. It's only in the Bible one other time. Why would he choose to use this word? It's deeper than what we understand. And let me show you where, where else it is. Hebrews 2, 17 says, therefore in all things he had to be made, Jesus now, had to be made like his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful High priest in things pertaining to God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. Okay. Again, this is an extremely interesting word because it's very deep. This Greek word for merciful, that's only blessed are the merciful and Jesus is merciful. Only two times it's in the Bible. Here's what it literally means. It means to have compassion, to show compassion, to compassionate for a person because... You, this is the way the Greeks phrase this, because you got in that person's skin. Because you got in that person's skin. Our English phrase that would be similar is, you walked in his shoes. But they took it even further. You got in his skin. Do you realize that's what Jesus did? Jesus literally... God in our skin. He became human flesh. He took on flesh. He took on our skin so that he could be a merciful high priest. I want you to know when you're having a bad day, when you're going through a difficult time, 
when, 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 when you've received some bad news, when, when, when something's wrong in your life or your relationship or, or your marriage or your family or your health, when you're going through something that's very, very difficult, if there's anyone that has mercy on you, it's Jesus. If there's anyone that understands how you feel, it's Him. Because He knows what you're going through. There's never a moment when Jesus doesn't know how you feel. I was reading this book a while back, um, and the author uh, shared a true story that someone had shared with him. It was a lady that had shared it with him. She said one day she was on the subway, and this man got on the subway, and he had four children, and they were just running all over the place. And the man just looked straight ahead and never did anything, and his children were just acting wild and rambunctious and she said, finally, I just decided I had to say something to him. And so she said, sir, you, you need to say something to your children. And he said, the man just kind of came out of a fog. And he said, I, I'm so sorry. You're right. I'm so sorry. He said, for the past three weeks, we've been at the hospital. And my wife and their mother just passed away. I'm sorry. She related, if I'd only known... Obviously, I'd have never said anything. If she'd been in his skin, if she knew what he was going through. Here's the great news of the gospel. Jesus does. He knows what you're going through. The way for us to be merciful, which if we're merciful, we're happy. The way for us to be merciful is to continue to receive and show mercy to other people. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes.